Hello, and welcome to Tea Time Theology. I'm your host, Taylor Wilkie, and today our guest is Benjamin Straley. And uh, yeah, this is just a bonus episode that we're going to be dropping for the regular season to introduce Ben to the diocese. Benjamin. Benjamin? Yes. Okay, Benjamin. Yeah. I've already been slapped on the wrist. Here we go. It's been an uphill battle since kindergarten. And yeah. My first teachers. So. so why Benjamin and not Ben? Like, why do you prefer my Benjamin? My mother hated Ben, and as a result, I hated Ben, and I still do to this day. But very much a Benjamin. Okay. So, um, and I've thought about that a lot throughout the years. You know, naming is so important in the Christian tradition. So as someone who has had to assert what they like to be named, uh, I think I have a special affinity for people who feel strongly about what their name is, and I pay attention to that. Absolutely. And, you know, Father Benjamin, that's like a really good, strong, or Reverend Benjamin. Well, yeah, no, Bill, in, this, in the parish, uh, it was very much a father last name parish. Mm. And I just wasn't used to hearing Father Straley, so I've been intentional about saying Father Benjamin. Just at least use my Christian, as it were, name. Absolutely. My first name. So Father Benjamin, although I answer by Father Straley, or just uh, as I've come accustomed to in uh, Rhode Island, hey, Father. So. It's a wicked, that was a wicked awesome mass you got there. That's right. So I'll answer to it all. Okay. Craven, hey you. So I guess we'll start the, uh, we'll start with a general question of like, you know, what, what brought you to the priesthood and what made you want to become a priest? Well, I can give you the answer I would have given six months ago. I'll give you then the most recent answer. Um, I was a church musician. Yeah, I still would say a church musician by my first vocation. I went to school as a music student. Um, my first job out of graduate school was at Washington National Cathedral as the associate director of music. It was definitely the Episcopal liturgy and its music that drew me into the church. But of course, God uses all those things to draw us mm-hmm. to God, how God will. My old line used to be used to be that the beginning of my studies in seminary were academically driven, mm-hmm. and then the spirit caught up with my academic life. I think we're amazing at our capacity for self-deception. Mm-hmm. Um, and now looking back, no one is surprised that I became a priest except for me. <laughs> Everyone. And so um, your your viewers won't know this, or your, audio, your listeners won't know this. Uh, just two months ago, basically, I broke my leg, and I spent a lot of time recuperating, and my parents came to stay for a week from Ohio. And um, we had parishioners over for dinner one night, and they asked when, the same question you've asked, mm. And, of course, I gave my standard answer. And my mom said, do you not remember when you were six years old? I said, what do you mean? She's like, the Father Dowling Mysteries on TV. And one day you came to me, Benjamin, and you said, I want to go like this. And she imitated me making the sign of the cross in a very big style. I was a little six-year-old child. And I realized, you know, even back then, yeah, I was obsessed with shows about nuns and priests. And I used to celebrate Mass in my grandmother's living room. You know, so playing church. So, again, no one was surprised that I became a priest except for me. I did everything I could to not be a priest. Uh, I was at the pinnacle of my own profession right out of school as a musician, as a church musician. And um, there's something about the fact of doing everything else you can and then a few years later realizing it's still not enough. Mm -hmm. And I needed to know that I had done what I thought I should do. And for me, uh, that was pursuing the priesthood. So I hate to frame it in a form of desperation. I wasn't desperate, but I just knew I've either got to look at this and take it seriously or I'll ever be able to move on with my life. Hmm. Hmm. So what brought you to um, Rhode Island? 
Well, that's an easier question. There was a parish profile that was <laughs> deeply appealing. Um, so I went to grad school in Connecticut and fell in love with New England very quickly. I uh, lived for four years in New Haven, worked in Washington, D.C. for six years after that. But New England was always pulling back at me. Every vacation brought me back here. And um, came back to Connecticut for my first job as a priest in Essex, yeah. Connecticut. I knew Blake Sawicki from seminary, and he was the curate at St. Stephen's here in Providence. And I stayed with him uh, once one summer. So St. Stephen's, but this, that's just by way of saying, it was on my periphery. I knew yeah. of it. Um, and as was my call to the priesthood, where everyone else was telling me these things, and I couldn't, for some reason, do, see it for myself. The parish profile, well, I knew there was an opening at St. Stephen's, but I thought, I'm too young, not been ordained long enough, not enough experience, right? They're never going to consider me. And a few people who knew St. Stephen's, when the parish profile came online, said, have you looked at this? This looks perfect for you. And what are you talking about? Well, and then I opened up the parish profile, and I fell in love with these people on paper mm. before I even knew the parish because I could see that their strengths matched my strengths, and their weaknesses actually matched um, passions of mine, areas of growth that I was able to, eager to help them in. Um, And so from the minute I saw that parish profile, I thought, this is something I need to pursue. And again, I'm completely honest, I thought, A, I'm too young, I don't have experience, haven't been ordained long enough. And from the very first conversation with the search committee, uh, as someone who doesn't use kind of a feely language or spirit language, mm. I honestly, I, at the end of every session with the search committee, I felt that the Holy Spirit had been at work in and among us that, that hour over Zoom. Mm. And this, the pandemic had just started. When yes. We weren't even sure if it was going to be two weeks, four weeks, naively. Absolutely. We had the same problem. Uh, I mentioned on other episodes of the podcast, but our first season, COVID hit halfway through recording season one of Tea Time Theology. Sure. Yeah. And I remember sitting down with clergy in the bishop's apartment next door, because yeah. that's where we used to record. Okay. And we it was it was it was like late May, early April. So I think we were saying, process yeah. mid-February yeah. or mid-early March. But yeah, we yeah. didn't know. We thought yeah, it was yeah. a month and, or two. And we would say, and we would say, hey, don't don't bring up the COVID, this COVID thing. Oh. Because like we're not sure, because the, these these episodes aren't going to be dropping exactly. for another like month and a half, two months. And we're like, we don't want to make a big deal out of something that's not a big deal, but when you know. And then a year later. Time makes fools of us all. <laughs> right. So you were saying, uh, first of all, St. Stephen's, where is that? It's on College Hill, so it's literally in the midst of Brown University. Okay. Um, it's amazing to think about, but when it was built, there were actually like green areas around it, mm. and it was very much separate from the university. Well, since 1861, um, Brown University has very much expanded, mm. and now we are an island in the sea that is Brown University all around us. Nice. Um, it, I think that is a, a huge blessing. It's a huge asset. And it's also a, a hindrance at times. Mm. Um, now, yeah. Now, and you were also saying that you felt as though your strengths and weaknesses mirrored those of the strengths and weaknesses of St. Stephen's. So Saint, could you elaborate on Saint this a little Stephen's bit? St. Stephen's at this point, I would say, is primarily known for its liturgy. 
Um, mm. There are people who drive from over an hour away to come to our parish simply because of the liturgy, which is very traditional. Uh, it's Anglo-Catholic. There's lots of, as, as some people listening to this might recognize, smells and bells. Um, so it's lots of incense, um, lots of chanting, um, eastward facing. So the priest still faces together with the people, all together facing eastward, praying to God, mm-hmm. um, except for very certain portions where the priest turns towards the people. So it's very grounded and timeless and ancient ceremonial, mm-hmm. which for us point us to the living God in our very midst. Mm. Um, the, the transcendence and the mystery of that. So that's our biggest asset. That's why people come. However, we are a neighborhood parish, and the biggest weakness has probably been actually reaching out to those immediately around us. How do we better engage Brown University students? Mm. How do we engage people who are in the neighborhood? St. Stephen's was very much a neighborhood parish and a very well-heeled east side of Providence uh, mm. parish. Always very mixed, uh, one of the first racially integrated parishes in the whole country mm. back to the 1850s. Mm. Well, that's, that's a whole, like a whole Rhode Island thing. Exactly. It's yeah. like Rhode Island is, was always built on uh, religious freedom and yeah. personal equality. And that's one of the great things about Rhode Island as a yeah. whole. And St. Stephen's is perfect. I'm sure there are chapters that we'll never discover from its history mm-hmm. where, 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 where they were less than ideal or less yeah. than perfect. But... We do have as a history uh, that history of integration and Supreme Court justices mixing with just people on the east side, you know, mm-hmm. um, which at the time would have been somewhat, I don't want to say scandalous, it wasn't scandalous, but just it was a mixture of classes. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And so St. Stephen's has a very prominent position within the story of the east side. Uh, so, so our strength is liturgy. However, we need to be doing more, like all the churches, of reaching out and engaging the people around us and making new disciples, and uh, and being a part of the neighborhood. Because um, this is something I've taken from Connecticut. I think the assumption for so long was that God was only active in the church. Mm. And God is certainly active in the church. And then we see people who are not part of the church as being separate somehow from God's activity. The truth is, God is God, and the church is the church, and mm. the two are connected. But it's it's the wrong presumption to make that God isn't up to something in the lives of the people who are walking by St. Stephen's every day. Mm. So now, how do we tap into what is God up to in their lives outside of our parish life, and how do we connect the two? How do we mm. how do we a bring them into the life of the parish, but also as a parish, how do we actually just engage or talk about what is God up to in their lives, and mm. how might we listen to that? to better inform what we do mm. to, re- to respond to their needs. This sounds like you're describing a little bit of your work in Connecticut with... Uh, it's joining um, Jesus. Joining Jesus yeah. <laughs> in the New Mission of Age. So why, don't we, why don't we just talk about that and what that was? We, we are in a New Mission of Age. So as a, as a, as a rector who is always uh, concerned about numbers, whether they be attendance numbers or numerical numbers, I can tell you very easily that the heyday of St. Stephen's was in the 1950s. As it was with every parish in America, mm. the post-war bill. We all, we keep looking back to this age of, oh gosh, if we could just go back to make America great. You know, mm. Go back to the 1950s. That was an exceptional time. It was. In 1950s were not the 1930s or the 1880s. I mean, the churches were always strong because they were at the geographical center of, I mean that, you think about mm. the place in the church, they were at the geographical center of communal life as well as spiritual life, but they were 
the center. We've gone from being the center to the periphery in a way. And so we're in a new missional age. We are, in a way, probably more aligned or more like, or at least more understanding of the Church of the Apostles. Since we, for the first time in 2,000 years, mm. we've had to make it new again. Mm. Because we can't assume that Christendom, as a term, is the given anymore. You and I might know what we talk about, or what we think we mean when we mm. talk about Jesus Christ, or even use big words like redemption or grace, which mean nothing to someone who has mm. never... So how do we talk about those very churchy terms in terms that the person off the street can just grasp immediately? Mm. What are those, you know, why use a three-syllable word when you can use one? Well, why use, um, and I say this to someone who loves the language of the church, but why use a churchy church term mm. when I can just say, God loves you? Yeah. That's um, that's one of the things that drew me in um, to the Episcopal uh, the Episcopal Church uh, when when I discovered it. Um, I'm sure all the listeners are going to be sick of hearing this story because I've told it to every priest that I've interviewed so Uh-oh. far. Okay, but, no, um, it's new for me, everyone. So yeah. listening, I'm hearing this for the first time. Um, I was raised Roman Catholic. Sure. Um, I kind of broke away. Didn't really like the direction they were going in. And when I found the Episcopal Church, the the, the message here. Mm-hmm. I found very rapidly was God is love come as you are and that is so pure and so easy to understand and just show up on Sunday and know that this is just what it is no one's pushing anything on you no one's trying to tell you to live a certain yeah. way it's just kind of like sure there was a loose uh, there's a loose uh, association of rules that we all kind of follow but other than that it's not it's not as I guess dogmatic it's as, not as, the, as, Roman, as the Roman Catholic Church is. not as dogmatic and rigid. However, I would say, and this is, uh, you unknowingly stepped onto my big soapbox thing. Oh man, get on it. Um, so the Jump church, up there. The Episcopal Church's operating theology for the last 30 years has been, come as you are. Mm. All are welcome. And that's true. It's mm. so true. I say it every week at Mass. I say, if you're new or visiting today, please know we're so glad you're here and you are welcome here. I mean that with every fiber of my being. However, you've come here. This is what the church has not stressed so well. Mm. I think we know we mean it somewhere in, our, mm. in, the, in the recesses of our mind. But uh, come here and be prepared to be transformed. Mm. It's not just a meaningless meal we're being invited to when we come to mass. It's it's a we're asking that God takes the very stuff, the ordinary stuff of our lives, and be transformed. So the things we offer, like bread and wine, the mm. very common stuff of the earth in our lives, we ask that they might be made the body of Christ and be so transformed into something holy, mm. something transformed, something sacred. And that's what we're asking of God for our lives. And so I always, when people talk about, and this isn't a, I'm not jumping down your throat or anything, uh, but when people talk about, oh, just come as you are, you know, we welcome you. I say, yes, we do, but there actually is a caveat, which is mm. that you need to be prepared to be changed, mm. or at least asked to change mm. in ways that you might not even know when you first come in the doors. But God will ask something of your life, mm. and of you, to be better than you already are. As loved, and I'm mm. sorry that no one can see me on this podcast, but as loved and as sacred and made in the image of God as you already are, I do believe that 
life in Christ calls us to, um, if I if I talk about too much, I'll commit the heresy of Pelagianism, which is about our own works, mm. being able to make ourselves better, which mm. is, ah, oh, not true. It's all Christ. But uh, I think there is that invitation to try to be more, at least, and to want to live more fully in the life of Christ. Mm. So again, it's so funny. Any 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 topic in the church, you can wander down a path of heresy. Mm. As it were, yeah. uh, I'm using air quotes for those listening. But it just makes it in there. But um, yeah. So again, it's not about our own works righteousness. It's not about anything that we ourselves do, because we will always discover ourselves as mm. sinners in the need of a savior uh, and of Christ's redeeming grace. Uh, but. Um, can you see? We did it. We stepped on my landmine. It's okay. It's okay. I'll divert. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I definitely felt that way. Um, this podcast has definitely changed. It's definitely changed how I interact with God and my faith. Sure. Because before it was just, let's go to church and then we'll have a coffee afterwards and then I'll go home. Now... Uh, it's kind of like God works in mysterious ways. Like I had my own podcast for a minute and mm-hmm. it did terribly. And then one day I get an email from our, from my co-producer, Iris Winsky saying, Hey, I want to start a podcast for the diocese. Uh, I heard you've done a podcast. And I said, yeah, I have done a podcast. Mm-hmm. You want to do a podcast together? And he says, yeah. And the diocese is going to sponsor it. And I'm all like, this is sweet. Even better. And, and now I've, I've come to see that like the work that I helped do, does indeed help spread the word of God and the word and the, and the good works that the Episcopal Church does, especially yeah. in Rhode Island. And I guess it's a long way of saying that this is the way that the Episcopal Church has changed me. I went from being what do they call them, the um, lapsed Catholic, not lapsed Catholic. It's the one. It's the one that only goes on Easter and Christmas. Oh, see, yeah, see, me, yeah, yeah, see, me, Catholic, yeah. to being someone who actually like engages and talks and yeah. does more. And, and I'm very, I'm very glad for that. Yeah. I have a friend, one of my best friends from high school back in Ohio, and I always tease her. She doesn't even go to Eve. She just goes to C. <laughs> I'm like, you know, there's more to the story than Eve is born. And in the manger, right? There's, there's, there's a pretty a big, more. there's a pretty big plot twist right at the end. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, and, but, so that goes to the point too of just, um, sometimes people get hung up talking to me. They'll say, I don't know if I believe this or I believe that, or... Mm. I like coming to St. Stephen's because of X or Y or the music or the something mm-hmm. or I feel peace. And I say, stop beating yourself up. God will use what God will use to reach you. Mm-hmm. And if you're at this stage, but coming to St. Stephen's makes you feel this, you know, mm-hmm. or makes you feel a certain way, that's okay. God can use that. As someone who primarily came into the church because of its liturgy of music, and maybe Jesus came second in the end, uh, you know, in my own... Uh, in my own personal story I get that mm-hmm. and I always think God will use what God will use to reach who mm-hmm. God wants to reach absolutely um, whether it's a podcast or a friend or just who knows what you know mm-hmm. but um, there are a hundred million avenues into the church and, and to God mm-hmm. that's great now let's uh, this is this has been a pretty heavy discussion I would say for the past uh, I'm sorry 20 minutes it's okay we're gonna move on to something a little lighter okay. when you're not being a priest and you're not talking about Jesus what are you doing um, well for the last two months I've been at home a lot uh, recovering from this stupid uh, broken leg and uh, going to physical therapy before that so more maybe pertinent uh, to your question um, I have a dog mm. which is a recent acquisition um, a young puppy 
she's half husky, half Australian Shepherd. Oh my god. And we were out the door every morning around 5.45 or 6, just kind of running up College Hill and going to the park and playing with other dogs and um, just working a lot. Um, so I'm the proud parent of a dog and two cats. Um, in my spare time, <laughs> I, I laugh because I'm looking at my leg, I used to like to run. Mm. We'll get back to that one day. Um, I cook a lot. I'm an avid home chef. Mm. Big Barefoot Contessa fan. Big, big Lydia Bastianich uh, fan. Another PBS uh, Italian chef. Um, I used to joke, this was the question I graded most when people say, what do you do for fun? I'm like, I don't know. What mm. do you do for fun? I mean, I feel like there's some pressure to say I like long walks on the beach and long nature walks. Um, I love the beach in the summer, but I don't make an effort to go to the beach every day. Just mm. It's fun. Um, I enjoy seeing friends. Um, I enjoy uh, friends that I'm very close to. But I think um, once this this question was asked to me in a commission on ministry meeting, and I kind of rolled my eyes. So I was like, how many more times do I have to say, what do you answer the question? What do you do for fun? Mm. And then I realized the answer. I'm so fortunate because I love what I do. Oh. So for what people, so for some people, okay, work is work. I love being a priest. Mm. I love the church. I love doing church. So how fortunate am I that I actually struggle to answer this question? Because I think I shouldn't say I love celebrating mass or I love. Yeah. <laughs> I love, but I do. I love being with people, mm. and I love talking with people. And, and sometimes the job of a priest is just to sit there and let them cry. Because they don't have anywhere else to go that they can just sit and cry and just let things out. Mm. And I can't. I can't fix it sometimes. But what a sacred privilege to be given that status somehow by just by virtue of the church said this mm. is the guy. Nice. I've not done anything to earn it, um, and yet people come into your office or your home or whatever it is, and they share with you the most um, intimate and sometimes heartbreaking pieces of their life, mm. and that's the true. It's it's a gift, it's not an easy one at times, but it is a gift. Mm. Well, Benjamin, I think that almost uh, concludes our time together. I'm so glad I could steer us away from the heavy stuff. Absolutely. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, that took us back into the very depths geez. of the waiting room. Um, but it's okay. Uh, so, uh, if, uh, so you, you said you're at St. Stephen's. I'm at St. Stephen's on uh, College Hill, uh, okay. 114 George Street. Sundays, 8 and 10. <laughs> there you go. Not a little plug for our parish. Uh, but we are very good partners with the other parishes in the area. Especially nice. Grace Church and St. Martin's. Mm. Um, so we have very good working relationships with all our colleagues Great. there. And um, shared ministry. Nice. Yeah. And if uh, anybody wants to follow you on a social media, do you have a quick tag you want to give everybody? Oh, God. I think it's hashtag uh, Prov. Not even Providence, just S. Stevens Prov. We're on Instagram. We're also on Facebook, um, and you can find us there. Great. Yeah. Okay, Benjamin, it was great meeting with you. So nice to meet you, too. And uh, I look forward to seeing you around College Hill walking your dog. Me, too. <laughs> Talk to you later. Bye, everybody.
Thank you for listening to Tea Time Theology, a ministry of St. John's Cathedral in Rhode Island. We would like to thank our producers, Mo Akande, Ivy Swinsky, and Taylor Wilkie. Special thanks to Mo Akande and David Hines for the Season 3 music, and our sponsors, the Episcopal Diocese of Rhode Island and the Right Reverend Nicholas Nisley. Follow us at Tea Time Theology on all social medias.